Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Church, we are in our last week of our series, Reconciled, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. About a week and a half ago, I was in the prayer room over here, the upper room at Broadway Commons, and I was praying with a group of people, and we were praying individually at this particular moment, and I was overlooking the church, and I felt like the Lord gave me a prophetic word. He said, I am starting a restoration project. I said, Lord, tell me a little bit more about that. What are you restoring? And I clearly heard him say, I am restoring and pouring out new levels of fresh joy and fresh gladness. And church, that's a good word. Amen? That is a good word. And so I leaned in a little more, and the Lord took me to Psalm 51. And as I opened that up, what leapt off the page to me was this idea that he's restoring unto us the joy of our salvation. He's restoring unto us the joy of our salvation. I began to pray into that a little bit more and just ask the Lord, Lord, what what is the key? What are you asking us to do? What steps are you asking us to take? And I heard him say this. heard him say, reconciliation is the key to this restoration project. Reconciliation is the key to this restoration project. And so today, as we finish this series, Reconciled, as we continue the family conversation here in week four, I believe that for us, there is a door of opportunity that is being opened. I believe that on the other side of the door is incredible levels of fresh joy, an outpouring of fresh gladness, a renewal, and a reminder of the joy of our salvation. You see, I believe that the Lord wants to pour this out. It will be new, but in many ways, it will really just be a reminder that we are children of the risen King, that he is moving among us, that we are pursued, saved by grace, and sustained because of what he's done. And I believe that as we stay on this path of reconciliation, it's not an easy path to stay on, but as we stay on it, that there's an incredible opportunity. And I believe that reconciliation is one of the ways that God flips what the enemy meant for evil and turns it to good. It's what we've been singing about. Reconciliation flips what the enemy meant for evil and it weaves it into good. It turns it into good. It redeems it for good. And church, I'm here this morning with what I believe is a prophetic word because church, I believe with spirit as our guide and reconciliation, as our focus, that we are in the midst of taking this COVID disruption that the enemy intended to divide us, frustrate us, and destroy us with. And we, Sam Alliance Church, the bride of Christ, are seeing it woven into good. Let me repeat that again. I believe, church, that with spirit as our guide and reconciliation as our focus, that this COVID disruption that the enemy wanted to divide and destroy us with, that it's being woven into good. And so the family conversation continues. In week one, Steve talked about how we can't be right with God unless we're right with one another. In church, it's true. And we've got to get this right because we've got to stay on this path of reconciliation and make it through the door because what's on the other side is so, so, so good. And yet it's difficult because of our pride, because of our arrogance, There's so many things that try to take us off and dislodge us, our desire to be right, the comfortability of being set in our ways. 
And so today, we're going to talk more about this blueprint that Joseph has given us to stay on the path of reconciliation. And we're back in Genesis 50 this morning. We're going to be concentrating on this epic verse, verse 20, this verse that we love to sing, what the enemy meant for evil, you turned it to good. Genesis, I love the book of Genesis. The more I get into it, the more I study it, the more I read it every year, I love this book. It is so rich. It starts with that creation story, and we see just the words for good, and we see the words for evil, and we see God creates in his cosmic power, and he declares it's good, and yet evil comes in, and it disrupts. It changes so many things. It corrupts so many things. Work suddenly becomes toilsome. Childbearing becomes just painful. Shame and sin enter, but nothing is disrupted and corrupted more than relationships. Oh, the dysfunctional relationships of Genesis. I mean, like literally, if they had cameras back then, this would have been an incredible reality show. We got these generations of the patriarchal line, and what do we see over and over and over? We just see deceit. We see murders, fighting, stealing of blessings, selling of loved ones into slavery, incredible sins against one another. Really, this generational line is just a, it, it's a clinic on how hurt people hurt people. It's a clinic on how mean people corrupt others and make them mean. And it's sad. And yet, through it all, over and over, we see God's chosen people messing up, and then the goodness and the faithfulness of God that we've just sung about comes in, chases after them. And we see God's hand in these intense moments of evil. In fact, he turns them to good. And so let's read from Genesis 50. Joseph's brothers have just learned that their father died. They're pretty fearful. They think that finally Joseph is going to give them what they deserve. And we pick it up in verse 16. So they, the brothers, sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Time out real quick. I got to admit, I remember when I was like 10 or 11 years old and I'm reading this story as a kid. And I remember I get to this point and I am just like, get them, Joseph. You know they're lying to you. Get them, man. Give them what they deserve. Bring down the hammer of justice. Bring it down. And I remember being so disappointed because spoiler alert, he doesn't do it. But the story's still amazing. In fact, it's more amazing. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And then his brothers came, and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Blueprint number one. Steve talked about it two weeks ago. Don't sit in the chair of judgment. Don't sit in the chair. If you haven't listened to that talk, I encourage you to go back. Go back. Go to our website. Listen to that talk. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110 this is the word of the Lord. Church, I need you to get the beauty of what's happening here. I like to look at Genesis as kind of a Netflix drama. 
The writer is strategically, strategically saying something really important here in this final speech, in the closing words of Genesis. It is absolutely a mic drop. You see, God in his cosmic power created and called it good. And then the original Hebrew, what's happening here is that word for good about God's cosmic power creating good is used again. It's his cosmic power that is taking what the enemy intended for evil and it is turning it into good. Church, this is powerful. The way he weaves it, the author weaves it back in to the end, throughout this whole Genesis series, from that opening, that opening one, season one, first episode in the creation, here to the end, this drama continues on. And God's faithfulness is seen over and over as his people continue to be di- disobedient. Many of you are probably wondering, when you get to episode eight, will this generational dysfunction ever end? It's starting to lose your attention. You're starting to get bored with it, though that's drama that's kind of made for TV. It's pretty good stuff. But then we get here to this last episode in season one. And what happens here in the final season, the final episode, the final scene is our character, Joseph. He is heroically changing the script. We are hooked back because of his uncommon response to his brothers. It is amazing. His actions to his brother, they release hope. His response of reconciliation, he foreshadows, then just foreshadows and images Jesus. He responds to evil with good. That's what makes the story so powerful. He blesses those who wrong him. And so though it's 11.30 at night and I should go to bed, I hit play again and I stay up late and I journey into season two. Church, the same cosmic power that created the universe is working to take what is evil and turn it to good. So how does Joseph walk through the door? How does he do more than just forgive? How does he break this generational cycle of dysfunction? Two things I see in the text here. First is this. Joseph builds confidence by recognizing God's larger perspective. Perspective so changes things. A couple of years ago, six or seven years ago, a friend of mine from the Boston area was telling me the story. He was out surfing on Cape Cod, and he and his buddies were out there, and the siren went off, which meant that a great white shark was around. Now, in those days, there weren't as many great whites. Now, they're all over the place on the East Coast. But they got out of the water quick, and there was a thankfulness. There was thankfulness, and they called their spouses, and they're like, we got out of the water. If you hear anything, we're good. We're good. Thankfulness was there. The next day, the front page of the Cape Cod Times has this aerial picture And the great white is right below the three of them, like right below the three of them. Perspective changes things. Saturday, they were thankful. Sunday, they were very thankful. They were like beyond grateful and famous. (laughs) But you see, perspective changes things. And Joseph has this step back perspective. Joseph He builds confidence through this larger perspective. 
He realizes that evil can be woven into good by a gracious God. He takes the larger view. And if you've studied his biography here in Genesis, you get it. He knows that evil can be flipped, redeemed, and used. You know his story. He's sold into slavery. And yet that slavery and that selling into slavery gets him to Egypt, which will be strategic in the days of famine down the road. And when he gets to Egypt, he's put in charge of this household, and yet he's falsely accused, and then he's put into prison. The question is, when he is put into prison, is he singing, even though I don't see you working, I know you are? I mean, like, is he singing, Waymaker? I highly doubt it. (laughs) And yet, his opportunity in prison and the people he meets opens a door, and later on in life, it opens a door to the powerful leaders of that nation whom then he has favor with, a favor that then saves many in Egypt, but also his family back in Canaan. And so over and over and over, he has gained this perspective. It has been developed in him where he is able to look back and connect the dots of his life and see that the same cosmic power that created the universe has been writing a story, has been using his life to create a goodness. And as he does this, a confidence arises. He's able to step back. He's able to view things generationally. He's able to look beyond himself. And so, church, this is what we are called to do as well. This may seem simplistic in some ways. It may seem that we just need to to develop faith and really be able to do this. And I assure you, it's not evil. It's not easy. And in fact, in some ways, I am kind of getting off the path and talking about the philosophical problem of evil. And that's not my intention today. My intention is to get us through this door and keep us on the path of reconciliation. But I do want to share one quote with you. As I was studying for this passage, in one of the commentaries I was looking at, I stumbled upon this, and it's got some meat to it. But read this. While some of the losses are permanent and terrible, and some scars will endure. And let me pause there. We don't want to diminish the effects of evil. We're not trying to say that, oh, all evil, whatever, just wait, you'll see. No. There are scars. Many of you have suffered and are suffering. We're not trying to diminish that, but we are trying to step back. But the quote goes on. This speech is a most fitting conclusion to the entire book of Genesis, which never shrinks from branding and denouncing evil, yet treats evil as neither original nor ultimate, but always as derivative. And miraculously, incredibly miraculously, and tragicomically, as the unwitting servant of God and of good. It's a tragedy, and it's almost comical how God redeems evil for his good. Church, this is the perspective we're being asked to take, that the same cosmic power that created the universe sees evil as a servant of it and good. And so the question is, do we have that perspective? Do we possess the confidence that God is working for our good? I believe that it is a perspective that is often fostered. I believe that Joseph fostered it in his own life. And so the invitation here is, church, would you stop and would you connect the dots of your life? 
Would you stop and would you reflect on the season of COVID? And would you look back and see how God actually used or is using some of the events that happened to shape what is next for you? What are some of the good things that came out of it? How is he orchestrating your life? Ask spirit for revelation on these things. And church, can I encourage you to go back and read the stories, especially of the beautiful Old Testament, and trace the ways where that cosmic power is working. I encourage you to start with the book of Esther. In fact, we preached on connecting the dots, looking at the book of Esther pre-COVID. Go back, rewatch some of those sermons. But church, we need to stay on the path of reconciliation. But it's hard. It's hard. And so we need this perspective. In church, it's hard because reconciliation is relational. And that's the second thing that I see here in this text. Joseph understands that it's about relationship, not just resolution. Joseph understands that it's about relationship, not just fixing the problem. But friends, how often when tension, conflict, brokenness, refusing to talk to one another in a relationship, when that happens so often, we fall into these band-aid fix-it solutions. We look for these compromises that will make the tension go away. And resolution becomes the goal. Removing the problem becomes the goal instead of the reconciliation of the relationship. So often when things get tough, we move into fix-it mode. Church, I am one of the worst at this. I am Mr. Fix-It. I'm pretty sure I have an issue with this. Once or twice in my 20 years of marriage, my wife may or may not have said to me, uh, I'm not looking for you to fix me. I just need you to listen. Anyone else? No? I'm the only one, huh? I'm not a project. I'm a person. The ultimate goal in reconciliation is not always having to be right. Church, that's big. The ultimate goal is not being right. The ultimate goal is the restoration of the relationship. It's reconciliation. I love how the pastor Rick Warren puts it and when he's talking about resolving conflict. He says, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. It is unrealistic to expect everyone to agree about everything. Reconciliation focuses on the relationship while resolution focuses on the problem. When we focus on reconciliation, the problem loses significance and often becomes irrelevant. In church, here in the text, we see this to be true. You see, Joseph, he could have easily found resolution. Easily. He has so much power at his disposal. In fact, he could have just disposed of his brothers and it would have been fine. He could have found a simple, peaceful solution here. What he could have easily done was given his brothers and their sons and daughters a small plot of land back home in Canaan, sent them there, and given them just enough subsidy to get by. Out of sight, out of mind, but provided for. Resolution without relationship. Remove the problem, but also remove the relationship. And yet, what does Joseph do? It's amazing. It says in scripture that he keeps his family in Egypt with him. 
He keeps them close by. He's pursuing the relationship. And I don't want to pass by this too quickly because church, these brothers, remember the story. They wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted to kill him. And the only reason they didn't take his life is because they had a financial opportunity and another way was provided. They sold him into slavery. They wanted nothing to do with him. Best case scenario, when the brothers are approaching him, best case scenario in their minds is that maybe he'll give them a plot of land back home far away and he'll keep the tie that makes them like owe him for the rest of their lives. Best case scenario. Honestly, what they expected when they walked in that room, death. And look what Joseph does. Are you kidding me? They profited off him, and yet he takes a loss to bless them. How does he do that? He's confident. He doesn't need to get his brothers out of the way. He doesn't sit in the chair. He doesn't hold a grudge or try to judge. He doesn't need to display his power and his justice to them. He emphasizes reconciliation over resolution. Church, we got to get through this door. But it's hard. It's hard not to fall off the path. Because reconciliation is not mechanical. Reconciliation involves other people. In church, I don't know if you understand this, but the church, the bride of Christ, it's made up of living organisms, moody living organisms. I wish it was mechanical. I wish it was like when my car has an issue and the light goes on and the mechanic gets the code and he orders the part and he says it's going to take me an hour and 16 minutes of labor time. It's going to cost you $364. It'll be ready at this time. Man, if that's how reconciliation worked, we're all in. But it doesn't. It's not mechanical. It's people. It's people. So there's no timeline. And there's all these other factors. And so church, it's difficult. It's emotional. It's risky. It's volatile. Joseph wasn't afraid of the emotion. You see, broken relationships are tense. They're intense and they cause tension. It's difficult for us to want to admit it. Our pride gets in the way. And if you're like me and you're saying these words, you got work to do. That person, that didn't hurt. That person can't hurt me. Oh, I'm over that. We're good. That's pride. And I love the fact, the way Joseph handles it. He realizes that hurt deserves appropriate lament. Hurt deserves grieving. Part of reconciliation is to realize that we have been hurt, to lament it, even weep. Tears are often part of reconciliation. It was for Joseph The first time he sees his brother, he is so overtaken with grief and lament that he has to leave the room. And here again, it says that Joseph wept. Reconciliation is emotional. About three weeks ago, a few of us senior leaders here at Sam Alliance, we were gathered for our weekly meeting. And we were in that meeting, and we were just talking about how our staff is telling us they need some clear clear tracks to run on. What is the vision for the next season? What's going on? And we began to kind of just talk through some things, and it just didn't feel right. You see, the last 16 months of leading haven't been the easiest. It's been a trying season. Nothing has been normal. You know that. You understand that. And we began to fall into fix-it 
mode. Probably led by me, Mr. Fix-It. But we realized that something was off. And because there was some wisdom in the room, we stopped and we began to pray. And we spent an hour simply lamenting what has been. It was an incredibly powerful time. And we believe things began to break. And we began to write some of the laments out. We shared them with the entire staff here at Salem Alliance. And we called the whole staff to two weeks of prayer and fasting. One of the prayers that we wrote out, a lament of our pastors, I want to share with you this morning. Because for us, it unlocks some things. God, there have been painful losses all along the way. And so we lament. We lament and we grieve the fact that some have decided to leave Salem Alliance. We lament and we grieve the fact that some have stopped engaging with the greater church community altogether. We lament and we grieve the fact that political conflicts among us have caused division. We lament the ways that the reputation and the influence of the church has been tarnished by our unholy and unkind behavior. We lament the pain of having to say goodbye to our familiar ways of doing things. There have been many losses that we are grieving. Lord, we need you. Finally admitting it with other senior leaders sent us into a couple weeks of just processing it more. But the freedom that came on the backside of it This past Friday was our last day of gathering as a staff and prayer and fasting led by our pastor, Adela. It was amazing. In church, the words of victory that began to come give us the confidence to walk through because joy and gladness is on the other side of the door. And so church, we invite you to join us personally and collectively. A couple ways you can do that. One, acknowledge where you're in fix-it mode. Acknowledge where you're in fix-it mode and you're looking for resolution instead of working on the relationship. Some of those places are going to be the relationships that you say, I'm over that. That person, it didn't really hurt me. We were never that close anyway. Second thing, where are the conflicts that you need to lament? Pay attention to those. Don't be afraid of the emotion. Men, I'm talking to you. Joseph was a powerful man, and yet he was willing to weep. He was willing to go there. So I encourage you, write your psalms, as Steve shared a couple weeks ago. See, as a culture, we don't like to do this. We're not equipped for this. But I guarantee you, it will unlock things. It will close doors that need to be shut. Over the last decade, nothing has done more in spiritual discipline work within me than grieving and lamenting, both through a grief journal, but also in community. Can I encourage you to embrace this, to walk through this? See, this is the main thing it does. It cultivates humility. It cultivates humility. And humility is the secret sauce of reconciliation. Humility is what will keep you on the path. And so it needs to be cultivated, church. Church, we need to get through the door. We need to be reconciled. And in this series, Joseph gives us a blueprint of how. We avoid sitting in the chair, judging, holding grudges. 
We fight for that reframe perspective to see God's larger view and let confidence arise within us as we connect the dots. And we remember that reconciliation is hard because it is relational. We don't just look for the quick fix. We take the time patiently to lament, to weep, and to cultivate humility. The same cosmic power that created the universe is working in your life to flip what the enemy intended for evil and make it good on personal levels and on a collective level. Church, we've been doing the work in this series, and I hope that you continue to do the work. Staying on this path isn't easy. Our pride, our arrogance get in the way, try to knock us off. We like to judge. We like to gossip. It makes us feel better about ourselves. Finding people in our little community that agree with everything we agree with, it keeps us in the cozy zone. And we need to break that. That gets us off the path of reconciliation. We need to stay on this path. And while many of you, like me, still have some personal reconciliation to do in some relationships, I believe today, collectively, as a prophetic act, we're going to get to walk through and slam the door on the enemy. Are you with me this morning? Church, I believe prophetically that we are going to shut the door because through this COVID season, the disruptions that the enemy has brought upon us to divide, to disrupt, and to destroy us, they haven't worked. And so we slam the door on the enemy. We slam the door on the enemy and we tell you that season's over because the same cosmic power that created the universe is at work in us, the bride of Christ, Salem Alliance Church. And so we approach and worship again, waiting for that fresh joy, that fresh gladness, the joy of our salvation to be known in new and powerful, powerful ways. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.